Amen. Well, guys, uh, we're going to be diving into Romans 5, so if you've got a Bible, dive in. Uh, but before I start off, I'm just going to tell you a little bit about myself. And I actually didn't even answer that question correctly that he asked me. What did I give up to go to Fort Collins? Let me just give you a quick rundown here of my life. Uh, I was a college student at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. All right, go Huskers. Oh, no one in the room? Maybe one, uh, that was Larissa, okay. Uh, we're not doing too well in football right now, okay? Uh, I'm pretty sad about it. But I was a college student. I was running after my own things. I was running after relationships. I was running after money. And I came to the end of it when I realized, man, these things aren't going to satisfy me. And so I found myself in a, a weird position. I found myself going to a church that was actually like 10 miles away from the university, jumping in a car with a, a, a close friend of mine, going all the way across town. And, and through that ministry, college ministry, my life completely changed. Uh, Not because I cleaned my act up, not because I fixed my life. It's because King Jesus stepped into my life and changed my life. From that point on, I started getting heavily involved with a a company called Sandhills Publishing. It's now called Sandhills Global. Uh, I was a sales rep. I started traveling. My territory was California. I got to travel out to California uh, twice every month. I'm living the dream. I'm making a ton of money. All of a sudden, they're like, hey, You can choose anywhere in the world you want to go to continue to sell this product. Where do you want to go? I said, Sweden. I'm like, I've always wanted to go to Sweden. So I start traveling to Sweden. And I get three years out of college, and I get to this point where I'm like, I'm making all this money. I'm doing all these things that that seem like really good and successful things with my life, but I'm still not satisfied. And that's when I quit my job, got off a plane from California, quit my job, went back to that college ministry and said, hey, can you you guys have a job for me? Like, I'll raise my support. Like, I'm I'm pretty financially well off. Like, I'll do it for free. I just want to be a part of seeing college students coming from death to life. I was back all the way in 2014 when I did that. Three years later, I'm on staff with this church. Everything's going pretty well. And I got a buddy of mine who's up in Omaha, Nebraska. He's supporting me financially. I'm like, dang, dude, I need you to give more money. I'm sitting across the table from him. He says, hey, dude, I can't give you more money, but what if I tell you that I'm coming down to Lincoln, Nebraska to plant a brand new church called City Light Lincoln, and I want to hire you as my college director? I said no at first. Two weeks later, God changed my heart, and in four and a half years, I watched God do amazing things in Lincoln, Nebraska. He raised up faithful laborers, and let me tell you, when you start a college ministry, the students that you get to come, they're kind of awkward, okay? That first year was rough. But I watched God in four years raise it up to be the largest college ministry in Nebraska. And you want to know what it's called today? Salt Company Lincoln, baby. Come on. Four years, God raised that up and did amazing, amazing things. And then about a year and a half ago, God put something on my heart and said, Mike, you're not a sustainer. You're a starter. I want you to start something new again. I had no idea what that meant. And if you would have told me about a year and a half ago that, you'd be, that I'd be here in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, in February, sub-zero temperatures, preaching on Romans 5 of all things, I'd be like, that doesn't sound fun, all right? That sounds like a nightmare. But man, is God faithful. And you know what? I'm so excited to see what God's going to do in Fort Collins in four years. Because if he can reach students in Lincoln, Nebraska, if he can reach students in Cedar Rapids, he can do it anywhere because that's the God we have. 
And so guys, I'm so excited to be with you here tonight. I know I've made a couple jokes already about Cedar Rapids, but hey, I'm walking all the way, I'm, I'm flying back to Fort Collins and I'm saying, don't sleep on Cedar Rapids. It ain't bad, y'all. It's good. There's some good things here. I love this church. I love your staff team. I'm falling in love with the city. I'm just praying, God, don't call me there, okay? But it's awesome. So guys, again, let's dive into Romans chapter five. Uh, we're gonna finish off this series here tonight. But to start off, I want you to begin to think uh, about the effect that one person, one person can have on the world. Think about that for a second. What, what is the effect that one person can have on the world? Maybe you're starting to think about people, all right? Maybe people you know, people that influence you, maybe a teacher, maybe a professor, all right? When I think about the effect that one person can have, uh, two people really come to mind for me. The first one is Thomas Edison. Now, you might be laughing. You're like, the light bulb, dude? <laughs> All right, here's the thing. If you don't know Tom Edison's story, Thomas Edison, uh, dude had over a 1,000 patents. All right, he invented a 1,000 different things to this day that it affects our life quite a lot. Like, did you know that he invented the first record player? Like, like did you know he actually invented the very first motion uh, videographer or vid video? Did you know that? Like, he's not just a light bulb dude. And so if you're here in this room tonight and, like, you love listening to Spotify, you're like, mm, I can't wait for next year. See how many hours I wasted listening to Spotify. I can't see what my number two, number one artists are. Like, if you love watching TV shows, you love watching movies, all right, you know who you can thank? You know who you, who you can thank for The Office? Any Office fans? Come on. Let's go. Let's go. You can thank Thomas Edison for that. It's amazing. He had a huge effect on our world today. Or another guy, and this is more recent for me, is Tom Brady. Oh, hey, there's no argument anymore. That dude is the goat of goats, okay? The, the Buccaneers, a year ago, they had a losing record. Dude takes him to the Super Bowl in one year and wins. Like, that doesn't make sense, all right? He's had a huge effect on the world. Now, now what about people who have had a huge effect in a negative fashion? Like, okay, safe space real quick here, okay? Crowd participation. Raise your hand if you've watched a decent amount of Netflix during the pandemic. Okay, okay, okay. Now keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. Keep raising your hand if you've watched a lot of Netflix shows about serial killers. Come on, my people. All right, people are actually like moving away from you because that's kind of weird. But, but here's, the, here, I know it sounds creepy, but here's the crazy thing. Netflix makes watching serial killers really, really interesting, all right? And, and here's what I've learned over the course of the pandemic. We're messed up people, okay? Right? Over the last 50 years, there's been some really weird people in the United States that have done some really, really bad stuff, right? Now, I, I bring that up because I want to ask you this question. Who are the two most significant people? the two most significant people who had the most effect on the world? Who would be your top two? Good and bad. Okay, maybe you'd agree with me, Edison. Okay, maybe, you know, Hitler. That's, yeah, it's kind of bad. BTK killer, okay. Ted Bundy, that's a weird Netflix show. Please don't watch it, okay. Run away, <laughs> run away from that. All right, maybe you say Martin Luther King Jr. He's done some good things. 
Uh, maybe some in the room would say Trump on the good side and Trump on the bad side. I don't know. It gets weird in Iowa, right? But what's really interesting is you want to know who Paul would say? He would say Adam, and he would say Jesus. According to Paul, the most significant people in all of human history that most directly affect your everyday life at the most basic level would be Adam and what he did, and Christ and what he undid on the cross. And so that's what I want to show you through our text tonight. And so as we dive into these last four verses, uh, can I just be really honest with you? Uh, one of my favorite things about the Bible is at times it's really comforting. At times when life gets hard, gets difficult, like it's comforting. Like, do you guys have a comfort verse that you go to? Like maybe, maybe John 3.16, for God so loved the world, right? Mm, that's good. Well, well, for me this week, you want to know what it was? 2 Peter 3.16. You want to know what 2 Peter 3.16 says? Paul's really difficult to understand. Thank you, Lord. I just needed to hear that. Romans 5 is hard, y'all. It's difficult. Like, commentators and scholars say, like, this is some of the most difficult things that Paul wrote to understand. And so as college students, if you're sitting here and you're scratching your head or you've been coming here on Thursday nights and you're like, man, like, how does this relate to me? How do I apply this to my life? Know that you're not alone, okay? The Bible even agrees with you. Like, hey, I know it's hard, but stick it out. Allow God's word to speak to you. And so tonight, I just want to give you on the front end uh, two things that we're going to look at to kind of break this passage down. And there are two words, basically, that the passage repeats. The first word is one. And in your text, you're going to see it four times. And that word one is talking about this bad news scenario and this good news scenario. That we have this one man who did this one sin, this one trespass, who made a wrong choice and it opened up this door to this word condemnation. That's the bad news. But good news is that we have this one man who made this one sacrifice, this one right choice, and he opened up this door to salvation. So we're going to look at that word one. We're also going to look at the word reign. And it shows up in this passage twice. And by word reign, I mean like a king reigns. All right? And so Paul is wanting us to understand that there's two kingdoms and two kings that reign over your life. And one of those is Adam, and he reigns with death. And the other one is Christ, and he reigns with grace. And so that's what we're looking at tonight, two points. So first point tonight as we dive in is this, where one man's failure brought mankind's fall, now one man's faithfulness bought mankind's favor. This is why Romans chapter 5 verse 18 through 20 matters to you guys tonight. If you don't understand that these two men, Adam and Christ, play a huge effect in your life right now, like how you live, how you go to class, how you interact with the people around you, how you build relationships, how you get your degree, how you move into your career, how you affect your local church, if you don't understand that these two people are affecting your life every single day, 
you're never going to get to enjoy the fullness of the forgiveness that is in Christ. I want you to see that tonight. So go ahead and look at verse 18 with me here. It says this. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. What Paul's saying here is that there's two teams that you guys can belong to tonight. And daily, as you get out of bed, all right, as you get out of your Zoom calls, you have to make a choice on what team you're going to be on. And he's saying, here's your choice. You got team Adam and you've got team Jesus. And so let me ask you a really important question that's near and dear to my heart. How many of you guys like playing spike ball? Come on. Come on. I saw some spike ball out there. I'm going to be honest, I got humbled by your staff team, all right? We played indoors. Indoor spike ball is way different than outdoors, all right? I thought, man, I've been playing a lot of spike ball lately. I'm going to crush these guys. No. All right, Sabrina's a beast, y'all. <laughs> she, she is a beast, right? But, but for you experienced spike ball players, let me ask you this. What's the most important factor to winning a spike ball game? Oh, someone said it. I like it. I love it. All right. It's not scoring more points, okay? It's not being a really good spike ball player. No. It's your teammate, all right? If your teammate sucks, guess what? You suck. You're not good, all right? I felt bad. I was playing with Jordan. I'm like, I'm so sorry, Jordan. I suck today. This is not good. We're losing a lot. This is bad. If your teammate's bad, you're probably going to lose, what Paul's doing here is he's making a comparison between these two men, and he's saying, man, one of these, it's kind of a, a quick reality check for you, because one of these guys is a really bad choice. Like, why are you choosing him? It doesn't make sense. And so here's the comparison from the text. It says, one man, first Adam, he sinned, he trespassed, he plummeted all of the human race into sin and death, and the, the consequence of that, meaning the wage of it, the, the penalty of that is judgment. And with judgment brings this idea of condemnation, okay? It means bad news. Paul is alerting his readers. He's saying this over and Like, you can go all the way back to verse 12. And he's saying this over and over and over again. Bad news, bad news, bad news. Don't choose Adam. Don't be an idiot, okay? Don't choose Adam. He's trying to drill it into our hearts and our minds. Bad news. Like, if we're stuck with Christ, or if we're stuck with Adam, we're stuck with a really bad teammate. Now, uh, I'll never forget, I got to uh, hire a guy for our Fort Collins staff. His name's John Fisher, okay? This dude is built. He is a good-looking dude. I'm just like, okay, all right. And we get on the campus, and we're like, let's play some spike ball. Let's go. And I'm like, I got dibs on John. This is going to be great. Like, you look athletic. You look really good. Like, you've got the clothing for it, right? He's got the little cross uh, necklace. Like, man, you are the spitting image of my best partner that I could possibly get. You want to know what happened? We got beat by two girls. Wasn't, wasn't good. Wasn't good, okay? John's not a very good spike ball player. Fantastic at basketball, but I guess that doesn't translate in spike ball. I don't know what happened. He's just not gifted, okay? At spike ball, specifically. He's a great, great ministry leader, okay? Bagging on him a little bit. But that's the comparison that Paul wants you to see. 
if you know someone's a bad spike ball player, you probably don't want to play with them again, right? Because you're not going to win. And he wants you to see that Adam is a bad partner for your life, and you know it. You've seen it. You've got experiences. You've got evidences in your life. And so he's making this bold comparison of saying, why do you keep choosing Adam? Like, you know where that's got humanity. You know where it's taking you. It doesn't make any sense. But then he says, I got some good news for you. I got some good news for you because Jesus is better. Jesus is different than that. And rather than just even taking one trespass, one sin, one of those wages, no, 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 he actually takes on the transgressions, all of it, everything, everything you've done, everything you ever will do, and everything the entire world has done, and he places it on himself. And after having paid that debt of sin, he's able to offer justification, it's this big word, freely as a gift. And so as we get here in verse 18, Paul just wants to give you a summary. Hey, if you choose Adam, that comes with a wage. If you choose Jesus, that comes with a gift. And by gift, that means you don't, you know, you can't do something for it. It's received. It's given. So you want to know what that wage is that Adam gives you? That's condemnation. Death. You want to know what that gift is that Jesus gives you? righteousness, undeserved righteousness. And that undeserved righteousness is only possible because Jesus was willing to take it. He was willing to look at you and say, you are worth it. You are worth it. He was willing to go to the cross on your behalf to take on your sin, to take on your disobedience. And he was willing to take the the sin-stained robe that you wear And remove that and give you his robe of righteousness, not because you earned it, not because you deserved it, not because you've been good or because you come to Salt Company on Thursday nights or you go to church on Sunday mornings. No, because he loves you, because you know him, because you've accepted his gift, because he was faithful, because he was obedient, because he was spotless. Isn't that amazing? Like, I want you to remember this word one in this verse. Because when we think of the word one, we like to think of ourselves. But Paul is trying to move that understanding and say, when you think of the word one, I want you to think of the one son. The one man that was perfect. The one man that was spotless. The one man that was righteous. The one man that went to the cross on your behalf. I want you to think of him every time you hear that word. Why? Because I want you to have unity with I want you to have relationship with. That's what this word one means. Who are you going to have unity with? Who are you going to have relationship with? What one are you living your life for? And so I want to ask you guys that question here tonight. Like as you think about your life lately, who's the one team you've been giving your life to? Who's the one that you've been leaning on? Adam or Jesus? And I think what might be swirling around in your guys' heads, even for me as I read this passage, what might become really, really difficult is this idea of, was Adam even real? Was, was Adam even real? 
Like, do you believe Adam was a real person? When you get into Paul's writings in the New Testament, seven times he talks about Adam and Eve. And he talks about Adam and Eve as though they were a real, historical, living human being. Even Jesus. You read some of his words in the gospel, and he also talks about Adam and Eve. And when he does, you can tell that they're not historical figures to him. They're not fictional figures to him. No, no, they're real. They're alive. They're people. So you've got Paul the Apostle... You've got Jesus, the Savior, both referring to a literal Adam and Eve. Not mythical characters, not good moral people, but historical people. But that's probably not what our culture thinks, right? Like, you want to know the easiest way to stop a conversation, all right? Here's a really, really good dating tip for you ladies out there, okay? If you're in a coffee shop and some random dude comes up to you and is like, hey, cutie, what up? You're like, hey, what do you think about Adam and Eve? Do you think they're real historical people? That dude's probably going to run. It's true. It's, he's going to walk away. And if he doesn't and he's like, yeah, I do, then boom, you've just vetted him. It's not bad. If you think he's cute, and great. It's awesome. But it is a, it is a conversation stopper, right? Try, try this when you're in the grocery line. Like, walk up and he's like, hey, guys, how you doing? Uh, there's a really long line in front of me. Hey, who, who thinks that a historical Adam and Eve, uh, can I, I want to have a conversation. People will disperse, and now you, now you can go. Check out. That's great. <laughs> it works. It really works. Understand that modern culture isn't probably going to align with believers about creation or about a real historical Adam and Eve. It's not going to happen. But what you need to know and why I bring that up is because a literal Adam is crucial to Paul's point here. Because if a historical Adam does not represent mankind in sinfulness, then how could a historical Jesus ever represent mankind in righteousness? You need both. One requires the other. Because if you can't understand the bad news... In Adam, then how could you ever receive and step into the good news in Jesus? It takes bad news to get good news, all right? That's a simple math equation. And so if you don't believe in a historical Adam, and you don't see that Adam represents our sinfulness, that, man, even though he chose to do that, we would have done the same thing. And then here with Jesus, he chose to do something crazy that we would never have done, but he gives us his righteousness as a free gift. Free gift. Friends, what what I love about these verses is that it answers the question that always kind of comes up in our minds when something bad happens in our culture. When something bad happens in the world, we always find ourselves asking, why is it so messy? Why is it so messed up? Like, like how, how did we get here? Do any of you guys have a, a, a grandpa or a grandma that always says, oh, back in, back in my day, things were so much better. And then they proceed to tell you a 30-minute conversation. Okay, I have a grandpa like that. I do. And I love him to death. He's a believer. It's amazing. But what happens is he, he leads off with that, and then he tells me the same 30-minute story every single time. It's like, Grandpa, you told me this. He's like, no, you should hear it again. It's great. I'm like, it was really good the second time. 
It's really bad the 50th, okay? It's not great. I'll lo- I love you, so I'll just listen. I'm just going to sit here patiently and listen. But that happens time after time, right? Generation after generation. They keep saying, oh, it was so much better back in my day. How did things get so screwed up? It's because I think as time goes on, evil continues to grow generation after generation. And so we keep finding ourselves asking this question, whose fault is it? All right? Right now, when you think about our culture, you think about our society, whose fault is it? Oh, it was the Republicans. It was Trump. Oh, it's the Democrats now. Yeah, no, no, it's the liberals because they can't figure out what side they're on. No. You don't know who Paul would say? It's none of that. It's Adam. It's us. Like, we were born into sin. Like, Adam had this great power that was bestowed on him. It's called the power of choice, volition. And, And we all have the same power today to choose. Like, for Adam, he was given a simple directive, a simple instruction, one easy rule, one restriction. Adam, you can do whatever you want. Just don't eat anything from that tree. Just that one. I know it's in the middle of a garden. I know you're going to walk by it a lot. But just one tree. Just stay away. And there's something within us as humans today. When we see a sign that says don't touch, what are we thinking? I want to touch it. All right? When you see a sign on a door that says, hey, something special behind this door, but you can't go in. Don't go in. What do you want to do? You want to go in, right? Or when you're in a pool and you see a sign that says, hey, please don't pee in our pool. That's weird. What are you now thinking? I kind of just want to pee in the pool. All right? Raise your hand. No, I'm just kidding. Don't raise your hands. You're weird. If, if you rose your hand, ooh, yikes. Yikes. But why? Why do we want to peek behind the door and see what's there? That was not in my notes, by the way. Shouldn't have done that. Anyway. What's so important? Why do we want to see behind that door? Why? Because Adam opened the door. Look back at verse 12. It says, through one man, sin entered the world. That's where this started. Through one man, sin entered the world. He opened the door. Adam opened the door in a deadly virus came and spread. And since Adam, every human being has been sin positive, and you don't need to stick something up your nose to figure out if you're positive or not in quarantine, okay? I can tell you right now, you're sin positive, all right? You are, your mama is, your mima, grandma, whatever you call her, we're all sin positive. She's dying. She's like, dude, please stop. All right, get back to the word of God. I'm dying, okay? One man, sin enters the world, death comes, it spreads, and then death reigns. Credibly bad news, all right? If you're Adam and Eve, and you're like, man, this, we're the ones that let death reign, you're sitting here like, dang, people are going to hate us for a long, long time. That's probably not good. One man's act brought results so catastrophic that we're still experiencing the repercussions today. Adam brought our fall, but Jesus bought our favor. Is that not good news? Jesus bought our favor with God. That's the first thing I want you to see in this text. The last thing that I want you to see in this text is this. 
where death once reigned through sin, now grace reigns through Christ. And this is some of the best news that you guys can cling to tonight. Grace reigns through Christ. Look at verse 20 with me. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul comes back to the law here. And what he's saying about the law is that the the law did not come in to fix everything. It, It came in to amplify our junk. It came in to amplify our mess. Guys, the law was not given to save the early Israelite people. It's not why it's there. It just revealed how sinful they really were. All right, they were sinful. They had sin in their hearts before the law ever came in. Just like us, we were sinful before we ever knew who God was and what he was doing. And I don't know about if you guys have little brothers or maybe you got some nephews, but I've got a nephew. Uh, By the way, I'm a quadruplet. It's nuts, okay? And so I feel terrible for my parents. They just grew up in a household full of sin. Four little kids running around sinning. It was terrible, all right? I love my parents. I understand why they're crazy today because they had four sinful kids running around, all right? But for me, I've got a nephew, super young, just started talking, love him to death. You want to know what his favorite phrase is? You can guess. What do you think it is? What is it? Someone say no. Yeah, really close. Yeah, he says, no, thank you. Hey, hey, Brecken, do you want to, you want to hang out with your favorite uncle today? Because you got two other uncles too, but I'm your, I'm your favorite one. No, thank you. Dude, come on. It's like, dude, hey, hey, you should probably eat that because your mom really wants you to. No, thank you. Hey, hey, Brecken, can you put your toys away, buddy? Come on. Like, it's really messy here, and I'm tired of stepping on your Legos. Nah, no, thank you. <laughs> Why are you so sinful? Like, what are you doing? Why is that there? We're all born with it, right? So the law came in not to tell us that, hey, this is going to fix everything if you just follow all these rules. And what I love about the Bible is when you begin to read God's laws being introduced, that you have the Ten Commandments with Moses, and guess what happens literally seconds after that when you're actually reading, you're like, oh, wow, they screwed that up very, very quickly. You want to know what happens after that? God gives more laws, and they screw it up. And more laws, and they screw it up. And you got most of the Old Testament just giving laws and then screwing it up. It's the story over and over and over again. And here's why it's beautiful. It's because every single time, God provides for them, even in their sin. Even in their sin. No matter how bad the story got, there was an abundance of grace that God gave to them to cover every single sin. And when you see that in the Old Testament, man, it starts to illuminate some beautiful things in the new. And so here's a reality check for you guys. Nobody here in this room tonight has the ability to outsin the abundance of God's grace. Nobody here in this room tonight has the ability to outsin God's grace. Grace. And what I'm not saying with that statement is like, hey, let's do whatever we want, college, yeah. God's going to cover it. I'm saying 
If you're here tonight and you feel the guilt and you feel the shame and you feel the conviction on your heart, like, I'm not redeemable, I, I can never be forgiven, God, God could never break through, God is saying, the abundance of my grace is sufficient, will you accept it? That's yours. You can never cross a line where you're too far from God, that you're too bad for God. No line exists. God's grace is abundant. Amen? It's abundant. It's adequate to forgive every sin. So the point of this passage, why Paul is hammering this in, is to tell you today, as a college student that goes to Kirkwood and... Kirkwood? Kirkwood, okay. Hey, community colleges, man, it's tough, all right? I, I got a degree from UNL. We didn't learn very much, so you guys have probably learned more. Kirkwood, right? Hey, Mercy College, is that the other one? Lord, help me. All right, you got a bunch of colleges, okay? The point of this passage today for you in whatever college you go to, even if you're not in college, is that you cannot erect a wall so high with your sin and your shame that God can't shatter with his grace. You can't do it. And I want you to hear that truth because some of you thinking, man, my story, Mike, you don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I continue to struggle with and do. There is no way, Mike, I feel like I am a failure on so many levels. There's no way that God can break through, Mike. I've built a dam and I'm away from God, all right? There's no way he's getting in. And if that's you, can I tell you, that was my story. Sophomore, University of Nebraska-Lincoln, and I started taking these cinder blocks of my life of sin and shame and guilt and running after these things that I know don't satisfy me, but I just struggle with them. And I kept building that wall as high as I possibly could get. And I got to the point where I'm just staring up. I'm like, yeah, God can't do that. What's the point? You want to know what I saw God do? Break it down. Brick by brick like a file cabinet pulling out, pulling everything and saying, hey, Mike, I want you to know specifically, I've forgiven you for this. You want to know why? Because I love you. Not because you're good. Not because you're perfect. But because this other guy was. And his name's Jesus. Will you accept him? Man, it took moment after moment of God sitting with me, forgiving me, and me finally accepting Christ as my Savior. Not because I'm good, but because he is for me. Amen. I want that for you guys tonight. I don't care if you become an assault company a ton. Maybe this is your first time. Awkward night to come. Glad you're here. But I want that for you tonight. If you're close to him, if you're far away, I want you to know that your sin can never out-tap the grace of God. I want you to know that you can never build a wall so high that he can't break down. I want you to understand and experience the love, forgiveness, and grace, and righteousness that Christ has for you. And I want you to wear that in your college years. 
every single day choosing, saying, God, yep, I failed yesterday, but right now I'm stepping in. I'm taking off that robe of sin and guilt and shame, and I'm stepping into your, your righteousness, not because I've been faithful, but because you've been faithful. And can I tell you, there is nothing greater to give your life towards, nothing better to spend your time on than sitting in the presence of Christ and allowing him to just tell you you're forgiven. I want that for you. So I've seen college students in seats just like this, in rooms just like this. This one's pretty nice, though, I'll tell you. But I've seen students, I've seen their lives completely change. I've seen their lives change so much that they've given up a ton to go plant churches, to go overseas, to, to jump onto staff teams, to be faithful witnesses and laborers in really, really hard places, places I never thought God could reach. And so right now, tonight, you guys have that opportunity to make that same choice, to choose Jesus, to, to run towards his gospel, to run towards his grace and righteousness that you don't deserve, but he gives it to you anyway. What Paul's doing, what he's pointing out, is that there's a big difference between death and life, between sin and grace. And those differences are as far wide and stretched out as you can possibly get them from each other. And, and I understand, look, I get it as a college student. I've been there. I, I can understand why some of you want to live this Adam lifestyle. I can understand some of the temptations that you're going through. I don't get TikTok, though. I, that's, that's terrible, y'all. All right, that's bad for you. But I can understand some of the temptations that you're going through. I can understand why you make some of the choices that you do. Some of those choices that you make, that's not your fault. It's what you've learned. It's what you've been taught. It's habits that you've built up. And I can understand some of your struggles. I can understand some of the hopelessness the failure, the feelings of failure, the despair that you go through, the pressures that you experience. But what I don't understand is that if you're here in this room tonight and, and you're reading this text and you're saying, yes, I, I believe what Paul is saying here, that, that once I've been radically changed by Christ and the reigning principle over my life is no longer death, but it's grace, it's no longer sin, but I've actually been released. I'm no longer in chains. I've been set free. What I don't understand is why would you choose to run towards Adam when God has provided you something so much better in Jesus? Amen? And so let me close with this. Do you know or maybe do you remember what happened when Adam first sinned? He's in the garden. Eve gets lied to and deceived. He's sitting there very passively. Eve eats of the apple, gives it to Adam. He's like, oh, this seems good. But you know what, ha what happens right after that? All of a sudden, this, this weird thing happens in Genesis. Strange. Because the second after that, they realize we're naked. It wasn't a problem before, but now it is this self-realization like, hey, I'm kind of embarrassed. I've been made in the image of God, but I'm kind of embarrassed about the image of God. 
This wasn't an issue before. And what do they do? They cover themselves up, right? You guys know what they cover themselves up with? Leaves, yeah. Fig leaves. You guys know what a fig leaf is? Probably not. We don't have it in America, I don't think. I didn't Google that, but I just don't think we do. A fig leaf is a really bad clothing option, okay? Look up fig leaf rash, all right? Uh, my fiance is a dermatologist, and uh, she's in a fellowship right now, and she has this big book that she has to learn, and it's full of really weird, nasty photos, y'all. It's bad. I'm like, please put that away. It's the dinner table. Like, stop, all right? Larissa actually lives with her. I think she does the same thing. It's crazy. It's just like, hey, please, honey. Like, I know you need to study, but it's, it's bad. All right, Google fig leaf rash and you'll see very terrible photos, okay? It's bad. It's uncomfortable. They're itchy. It's awkward. They just got done sinning. You want to know what God does? He sees them in their shame. He sees them in their guilt. And he provides something better for them in the middle of that. You, you want to know what they, he, he gives them? Sheepskin. Sheepskin. Do you know how you get sheepskin? You have to kill a sheep, all right? Mary's a little lamb. She gone. <laughs> it's not good. Mary's little lamb didn't do anything to you, all right? That was an innocent little sheep. He kills it. And he gives them something better to protect themselves. He provides for them. But what's interesting about that is in that whole encounter, God was sharing two truths with Adam and Eve that would later become a huge biblical narrative that leads to Christ. First off, it shows us that as death comes into the world because of sin, only a life can cover the cost of that sin. Only a life. Secondly, God demonstrates that a substitute can be offered in place of the one who committed the sin. If you read further on in the Old Testament, God creates this thing called Passover. You might be familiar with it. And he allows one lamb to be slain for each Family, to what? To, to cover the costs of all their sins for the entire year. If you keep reading on later in Scripture, God establishes this day of atonement, and God allows the slain of one lamb for the entire nation of Israel. And then finally you get to the New Testament, and something really strange happens. John the Baptist sees Jesus walking before him and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The sins of the world. Do you see this beautiful progression? That all the way back in the garden, God was saying, I've got something better for you. I've got something better that will cover your sins. I've got something better that will cover your your guilt and your shame, and his name is Christ. His name 
is Jesus. And I want him to be the final covering. I want him to be the one that you wear, the the robe that you put on, the righteousness that you take with you in every place that you go. And so the question that I want to leave you guys with tonight as I close is this. Why would Jesus do that for you? Why would Jesus give his life to become the righteous covering that you actually need? If I was in your shoes and I was to answer it, here's what I'd say. Because I'm worth it. Because I'm worth it. Regardless of what I've done, regardless of the walls that I've built up, I am still worth it in Christ's eyes because he's faithful and he is righteous. And so it comes down to this, Salt Company. What are you going to do with Jesus tonight? Are you going to actually partner with him and live this out and step into his righteousness? And for some of you, that might sound really scary. It might still be really ethereal in your mind, like, I'm still confused and don't know if he was an actual man. He is, he was, he lived, he died for you. What are you going to do with that? Let Jesus begin with you, whether you feel close to him or far away. I want that for you tonight. And we're going to get a chance to continue to worship him, continue to say praises to him and say, God, this ain't about me. I'm not here to clean my act up. I'm not here to fix my life. Uh, Lord, I I don't need a solution. I just need you. Need you. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you just for your word. God, thank you for this place, this town, this city, uh, all the different colleges, uh, even though I can't even say their names, God. You know them. God, thank you for the students here in this room tonight. God, you are so faithful. You are so good. Thank you for the word that you provide for us in Romans chapter 5. God, that you want to show us, you want to illuminate through Paul's voice that Jesus is the better Adam. That, that there is nowhere we can run. There is nothing that can give us as much joy and forgiveness and grace as your son. And so, Jesus, we, we just humbly come before you tonight. Man, whether we feel close to you or far away, whether we know you or not, And we say, Lord, would you change us? Would you step in? Would you break down the barriers, the the cinder blocks that we've been placing, the concrete we've been pouring over, the walls that we've been building? And God, we are praying that through what your son has done on the cross, that it would finally hit home for us and break that wall. God, we want more of you and less of ourselves. And so God, would you do a special work in our hearts tonight? Would you change our culture? Would you change our focus? Would you make us more like your son who was perfect and holy and blameless? And we do that not because we we have to, we do it because that's our only response. God, give us the strength to do that. Equip us, encourage us, embolden us to go. Cedar Rapids to Ames, Iowa to... Fort Collins to California, God, to the nations. 
going with a simple message. There was a man, his name was Jesus, and he was faithful all the way to the end. He gave his life so that we might have life today. So simple. God, so we're going to continue to just worship you and your goodness and your faithfulness tonight. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen.